0: I'm going to take this moment, as everybody else will find in their seats, to send our kids out the back door over here. So if you might head that way, as they do, I would ask the rest of you who are going to be in here to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, we are into week number two. Week number two, and as you're going to uh, Ecclesiastes, we're actually going to pick up in verse 12. The plan originally was to be in chapter two, but I got a little sidetracked last week i uh, shed a few tears last week as a matter of fact there's now boxes of kleenex because everybody's like hey you can't do that and not have kleenex and so now you have boxes of kleenex there in front of you so you can grab one of those i'm i'm pr- i'm planning on not crying today at least not until after the packer game but um uh we'll, we'll see how that all goes uh, maybe you guys will be crying maybe i mean there, there's like a two percent chance i think is what they said so um are saying there's a chance all right but anyways uh last week we we found ourselves in the book of ecclesiastes we found ourselves laying out the foundation of what of what solomon found under the sun he found meaningless life everything is meaningless everything is futile everything is vanity a vapor a mist a breath on a cold day that is where we were at last week. There's no reason or no, no wonder on why we were crying by the end of it all, right? Because that, that wasn't exactly a cheery message. But if we do a quick summary from last week, I had a thought. And the thought was is this. That in that thinking, that Solomon really lays out and debunks the myth of evolution and the evolutionary process. Now, hear what I have to say with that because he says everything is cyclical everything just happens over and over and over again now evolution would say that nature's progress is a straight line and it's constantly changing it's constantly evolving to get better it believes that we are better and smarter and more advanced than the previous generation we tend to hold on to that thinking but solomon says the reality is it's not a straight line instead of the same thing keeps happening over and over and over again history is a circle or even maybe a better description is a cul-de-sac a cul-de-sac one generation after another drives around the cul-de-sac worshiping their particular idol and trying to outdo their neighbor with more more stuff more power more information more sex more fame and so as we often do people make the mistake of thinking that movement is progress now sometimes it is but not always in showing the cyclical nature of it all he actually uses nature as a prime example then he shows us how humans mirror nature that everything under the sun is a cycle each generation you're born you live you die then it happens again and it's all meaningless like i said cheery makes you just feel good about yourself makes you feel good about going out into this world but here's a good question and that good question is this how did he get to that conclusion how did he come to this conclusion i mean he came up with a conclusion he came up with a final answer but how did he get there and i asked that question because of this because i got asked that question a lot when i was in school those of you who are teachers you've asked that question a lot to your students how did you get that answer why didn't you show your work i didn't like math but i was good at math up to a point point. and that up to a point was because i could figure out everything in my head and i could do it quickly and the teacher would be like mm, that's the right answer but i know you're cheating and i'm like no 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 i i figured it out and i it up to the formulas and all that kind of stuff like that that's when i really got bogged down because i couldn't get those formulas going in my head but the, the simple stuff from basically algebra on down I could, I could do that no problem but the question constantly was hey we want you to show your work and how you got to that answer well guess what solomon's going to do for us today in the last half of chapter one and all of chapter two he's going to show his work he is going to show his work that life under the sun is meaningless. That work leads to that answer. And it's going to lead to this even bigger question. If life under the sun is meaningless, then in what do we find our meaning? In what do we find our meaning? Because I'm not sure if you remember a few weeks ago when we we gave you that gospel track. It was that red one that said life's ultimate questions on it and in it uh, there was four questions that were there and the four questions were who am i why am i here what's wrong with this world and how can what is wrong be made right that was the four questions of life's ultimate questions well today we're going to take a a different approach to those same type of questions but we're going to narrow it down to three and the three are going to be in origin meaning and destiny for origin is where do i come from going back to the other question would be who am i meaning what is my purpose why am i here but then destiny what happens when i die the truth is the first book of the bible genesis it answers the first question it answers the first question it tells us that we come from god that we are uniquely made in his image and likeness with dignity value and worth the last book of the bible revelation it answers the third question By telling us we're going to return to God at the end of this life for an eternal sentencing, either to heaven or to hell. Simple, concise, a little bit more detailed than that, but that's basically what it says. But between Genesis and Revelation, there is the book of Ecclesiastes, and it answers the middle question What is my purpose? Where do I find meaning? solomon limits his study to the natural world or uses the world under heaven or under the sun without any reference to the supernatural world or we might even say over the heaven or over the sun his conclusion is we're not going to find any meaning in anything that is here anything under the sun we will not find meaning it and today he's going to set out to prove it today he's going to set out to prove it he's going to put forth an experiment where he is the scientist and the guinea pig he is both he's going to ask the question and he's going to live his life to try and answer it and he's going to see is there really meaning under the sun and he gives a conclusion and he shows the work so open again with me to ecclesiastes one you should be there we're going to pick up in verse 12 and because there's so many verses today we're just going to walk through section by section and do it in a kind of an umbrella fashion instead of getting down to each and every word but hopefully you're able to grasp what he's trying to say verse 12 says i the teacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So he's reintroducing himself. He's telling you who he is. He says, I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. In the Hebrew, it actually means he gave us everything. Not just applied his mind and examined all of his heart, all of his mind, pursuing to figure out this intellectual puzzle called life. That's where he finds himself. He says, this is probably one of my favorite statements. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. That's great. But what is he trying to say? Well, this miserable task of trying to figure out what life is all about. This life is under the sun. Why is it miserable? Because he found out it's meaningless. He's writing this obviously after the, afterwards. So he says, as a matter of fact, verse 14, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything... To be futile a pursuit of the wind a pursuit of the wind now i'm going to pause right here for just a second because i, w- I want to ask uh, you don't have to answer at me but think about this do any of you collect things some of you in here probably collect all kinds I- i've been to bob's house he's got i'm not going to say it online but yeah okay there's, there's lots of weapons in bob's house an entire workout room as a matter of fact yeah and so um There are people who collect all sorts of things. I know people who collect different toys, Hot Wheels, Barbies, Beanie Babies. Remember those? Pez dispensers. Um, I know people who collect guns. I know people who, who collect salt and pepper shakers. I know people who collect precious moment figurines, books, sports memorabilia, movie memorabilia, coffee mugs or stickers or spoons or little shot glasses, whatever it is from whatever place you visited at that you want to have as a memento. The list goes on and on but my guess is is whatever it is that you collect you probably have done the research on what you want next and you probably search thrift stores you probably search antique shops you probably are on ebay or things of the like you're going to these different places so you can get that next find but in all the people that i've met in all of my life you know what one collection that nobody's ever had was a collection of the wind a collection of the wind. I've never gone to somebody's house where they're like, well, here, come on over here and let me show you uh, what this wind I got from the ocean. Smell it. It's got that nice ocean breeze scent. So you smell that? Or, or come over here and get this one that smells like dirt from New Mexico. Here, get, get that one. I mean, you know it. We, we've experienced the last three days and will for the next three months. It'll be great. But the, the thing is, is I've never gone to somebody's house today. on my mission trip, I brought home wind and it smells like Honduras. It's It's amazing. It just takes me back to that place. You know why nobody's ever had a connection, of, a collection of wind? Because you can't catch the wind. You can't collect it. And Solomon says, searching for meaning in life apart from God is as silly as working hard day after day to amass an amazing wind collection. That's what he says. The truth is, everyone knows this. But, but for some reason, we can't just come to accept it. That explains why every New Year's, every new year's we try to get organized and we try to get focused and we try to get efficient but wind up what as a matter of fact 14 days later is the typical point of 80 percent of people have lost it which today is 14 days so congratulations if you've made it past today but if you haven't you end up disappointed right frustrated jaded we long to do whatever it takes to fill that deep void that we have in our souls, but nothing on this earth will actually fill it. And we find that out over and over and over again. It's almost like this book. This book of Ecclesiastes, though it may sound awful, and it may sound dreary, and it may sound depressing, it's actually pointing us to one of two conclusions. One, life without knowing your origin or destiny, not knowing why you're here or where you're going, leaves us, that purpose in the middle, being meaningless so it doesn't matter what you do in this life and i think when we look outside at this world that's exactly where we find ourselves or you have this conclusion life with knowing your origin who you are and your destiny where you're going it means your purpose will focus on living for something bigger than yourself during this life it's almost like we were made for a world that already had it all together it is almost like in our distant faint collective memory that our thought of home it, it keeps us longing for more than what this world has to offer that's why psalm is talking about in verse 15 when he says what's crooked cannot be straightened and what's lacking cannot be counted crooked it's a great word psalms way of explaining the fact that we in our world are broken and cursed Something has gone terribly wrong and no matter how many organizations we start, n- no matter how many elections we hold, no matter how many wars we fight or dollars we spend or attempts we make or protests we hold or medications that we dispense or or bad guys that we lock up, the world's is hopefully crooked and broken. It's cursed. And I'll be honest, it, it bothers us. And we want to straighten it out but the problem is, is that everything on earth is crooked but also so is... Everyone, and so crooked people cannot straighten out a crooked world and this is true for every generation now we've already said it already but the, the next generation tends to think the generations before them got it wrong and they will get it right the previous generation thought the same thing about the generation before and they were wrong here's the truth everyone has a different plan but no one has a successful plan Everybody has a different plan, but no one has a successful plan to straighten out this crooked world that we live in. And we need to understand this. We need someone who is not crooked to get this whole mess straightened out. We need someone who is not crooked to get the whole mess straightened out. In a crooked world under the sun, where might this person be? Well, the answer is nowhere. In a hopeless world under the sun, who might this person be? And the answer is, is no one. Our only hope is for someone to come down from above the sun, with them in a world that is not cursed and bring them with a with the world that is not cursed I guess the question is is who would that be hopefully you're sitting at church and you know that answer but we'll get to it eventually but from a human perspective the human perspective is it's going to look as, as if there is no God or I'm going to live as if he doesn't matter in my life and there is no real who and there is no over the sun so what do we try what do we do and here's something, if you haven't noticed it already, if you've read through the book, some people are like, oh, I was reading through Ecclesiastes. There's something you might see in there. There's a whole lot of I and myself. I and myself. There's a lot of Him alone. And we'll talk more about that later, but here's where it starts off in verse 16. I said to myself, See, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I apply my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind, for with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Now this is an interesting passage. I told Peyton, uh, he likes to um, get he has a collection of um all the different postcards from every college that's trying to get him to go to, to their school and we get six seven a day we have a stacks of them and actually he doesn't collect them levi likes to collect them and spread them out all over the floor and they're great because they're slippery on the carpet so um in in that everyone that i have looked at i have never seen verse 18 on their sales pitch for much wisdom is much sorrow and knowledge increases grief increases that's just not the sales pitch but here's the thing that i do see as i look at that verse with solomon he actually knew as much as he possibly could he had access to as much as he possibly could he went all in from wisdom all the way down to folly he had all the things all of his conversations they ranged with, with with scholars in academia down to the the drunk at the bar he talked to them. He connected with them. He was there in it all. And in it, he came down to this conclusion. Verse 18. It's a tough one, but it is entirely truthful. We live in a generation that now has access to more information than ever before. When I was a kid, I was excited about the Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, You know what? That's all right here now. Anything I need to know Hey Google, hey Siri, Alexa. Now I'm not telling you i are going to tell you the right answer, but they will give you an answer. And in that, as you look at it and you hear those things, and as I said, that did anybody watch this go off? Um, the the truth is, is that we have all of this information, but what do we really know? What do we really know? You know what you really know, especially the older you get. You know chaos, and you know grief and you know disorder, and you know that what Solomon writes here about meaninglessness is correct. That is exactly what Solomon found out the more that he knew. So that leads us on to chapter two, where the scientist puts on the guinea pig coat. And maybe you have little titles in your Bible like I do, but a title on top of mine says, The Emptiness of Pleasure. And this is where he begins to show his work. I said to myself, go ahead, i will test you with pleasure enjoy what is good but it turned out to be futile i said about laughter it's madness about pleasure what does this accomplish i explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until i could see what is good for people to do under heaven during these few days of their life so showing the work begins and as he shows the work this is what i realized The work that he is putting together, the experiment that he's running is the same experiment that America runs and has since the founding fathers wrote these words. Life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. We all want to be happy. And guess what? We all will pursue it. The problem is many of us look for it in pleasure and enjoying what is good. And it actually becomes the chief goal of our lives. And when we say it that way, it becomes a word called hedonism. If I could just have more of what I already have. If I could just have a better version of what I already have. If I could just have a better version of what my friends on Facebook already have. That's our thinking. And it generally ends with this statement. Then I would be happy. And that's the goal. I mean, I've always laughed at the fact that the founding fathers put the word pursuit of happiness. Not just happiness. Because that's what it is always, according to Solomon it's chasing the wind never attainable why because our desire for more of what we love on this earth eventually it will enslave us it will not give us the freedom of happiness it will enslave us the things we voluntarily give our lives to things like comfort and things like money and things like sex and things like pleasure and work and even our loved ones if they become priority number one they will eventually ruin us and not free us then he says this he says, oh, I drink I drink the best wine with my we- meals. I I, I drank it. If you read over in 1 Kings, he drank from only gold cups. Now some of you have a favorite cup to drink your favorite coffee. Because that is what's going to make you happy and some of us need you to be happy and need you to drink those things so we can interact with you i understand that and you understand that but this is what he's trying to say here he's saying guess what i drank from these things and not only that i drank myself silly drunk to try and grasp the folly and he goes you know what there's no happiness in this one and there's no lasting happiness in that one you know in a few weeks we're going to see really overpriced commercials during a big football game and most of them are going to revolve around making you happy and a lot of them will probably actually revolve around alcohol consumption and that good life that's found at the bar or found with all your friends as you all drink and I've always wished this they would make a commercial that showed the after effects too I would love for them to show that picture of the, the woman hanging over the toilet at three o'clock in the morning that would be a great sales pitch Bud Light you know uh, <laughs> I, I wish they would show the abusive drunken father lose control the loneliness crash, the addictions that follow, to really lay out Solomon's point that it really truly is all meaningless. It is meaningless. And that's why he says what he does. He says, these, this is what the people do for their meaningless few days that they're on this planet. That's it. I, I just wanted to see it. Well, next, he switches. And your title may be something different than the emptiness of pleasure to the emptiness of possessions. And throughout this passage, I'm going to give you some bits of information from First Kings, First Kings and Second Chronicles because they go into more depth and explanation of some of the things he's going to make very simple here. And here's the thing that I want you to think about as we read it. Solomon had everything. And when I mean everything, I mean everything. And he still wasn't happy. What do we have? and we're still not happy it says I increased my achievements verse 4 I built houses and planted vineyards for myself you realize he had multiple houses he also had multiple houses for his multiple wives and we'll get to that here in a second but he built a palace for himself that took 13 years to build that he oversaw the construction he oversaw everything that went to it you know who he also built a house for God and he built that house in 7 years let's put that in perspective for just a second said, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. You into gardening? Is that what makes you happy? Imagine having a park in your backyard, like a legit park with every kind of orchard fruit tree, all the things that are there. That's where he finds himself. He says, even so much so, I constructed reservoirs, like full lakes for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired mail and female servants and had slaves who were born into my house now here's the thing that I found out if you go to 1st Kings and 2nd Chronicles it's going to tell you the breakdown because they all did all the crazy numbers in there it'll tell you the breakdown of what amount of food it needed to take to feed his servants they averaged because of the amount of food it took to to feed his servants every day that he had anywhere between 10,000 and 30,000 servants i went to the pit yesterday watched the lobos beat up on san diego state and i looked around at the 15,347 people of this sellout and went this is a staff meeting for solomon it's just everybody gathered together i'm like this is crazy and the amount of things that it had to go to you know we always say well if i just had if i just had somebody to do my laundry for me yeah i mean yeah sure I, i i'm not saying i wouldn't want that just saying, sometimes we think, maybe. Also, Lone Live It says, large herds and flocks. Just a small picture. He had over 12,000 of the world's finest horses. And 14,000 chariots. Oh, sorry, 1,400 chariots to go with it. I mean, I'm a car guy. But I can't imagine having 1,400 cars. Unless I had enough servants to keep them clean and wipe them down and detail them every day then I, i'd be all right with that but even still chariot a day do the math quickly in your head where are we at over three years i'm not driving the same chariot not driving the same car all for what it says of more than all who were before me in jerusalem verse eight i also amassed silver and gold for myself he had so much silver and gold that silver actually in his kingdom amounted to nothing It'd be like hundred dollar bills not being worth anything to us because psh, we got plenty. So I had a whole idea of, you know, I'm just gonna stoke the fire with these stacks of hundreds, that kind of mentality. And they said, and the treasures of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself. You realize he didn't have to go to a concert. He just had the concert come to him because he owned them. You guys come and sing for me. Taylor Swift, you don't have to follow you don't have to follow around Travis Kelsey i own you you're my that, that was his mentality right but then listen to this speaking of that and many concubines the delights of men many concubines he had 300 concubines 700 wives 300 concubines we talked about this briefly last week but a concubine's sole purpose on earth was to please their owner physically i want you to stop and think about that for just a second there's a lot of things that are sold on this planet to cause us to fantasize of a better life. A lot of times it has to do with sex. It doesn't matter if it's romance novels or things on the internet or all the things in between. Solomon didn't have to fantasize. He had it. It was all his reality. We think that stuff's going to make us happy. What does Solomon say about it? When he had it, he didn't have to fantasize so I became great, it says in verse 9, and surpassed all who reform me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. Then listen to this next statement. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. Just curious, did you hear how many eyes and mys were in there? This is the ultimate in selfishness. He was 100% self-indulgent, 100% a taker, a 0% giver. You know what the Bible says in the book of Acts? It's better to do what? Give than to receive. Apparently they were on opposite pages here. Or maybe Solomon came to that realization. When I consider all that I accomplished and what I labored to achieve, basically say, hey, I've worked hard for this. I deserve this. Ever heard that statement come out of your own mouth before? But listen to the result. I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon tried to find meaning by enjoying anything and everything apart from God, but found it to be meaningless and a meaningless waste of time. That's heavy. This is to prove that you can have a full life. You can have a fridge full of food. You can have a house full of stuff. You can have a closet full of clothes. You can have a bank account full of money, a calendar full of things to do, a mind full of knowledge, a stomach full of food, a full liquor cabinet, a resume full of experience, a full sex life, and everything else that goes with it and still have an empty soul. A little math for you if you don't get anything else out of today, but everything minus God is nothing. Nothing plus God is everything. Solomon arranged every aspect of his eternal world to give him the maximum pleasure however he never experienced happiness and satisfaction because his internal condition remained sinful it remained sinful and the highs of life eventually faded and guess what they always do the cry of our culture is don't repress those desires because that's dangerous It could lead to depression. It could lead to to even suicide. No matter what your desire is, no matter what, whether it has to do with gender identity or sexual orientation or pleasure or dreams, don't repress them. And Solomon says, that thinking is dangerous. And that thinking will lead to depression. And that action could also lead to suicide. It could be deadly. You may get whatever you wanted, but you will not want it once you get it because that is how it works. In the end, it will not satisfy. The truth is, is God loves you. God loves you, and he knows indulging under the sun leads to brokenness. Pleasure is not bad, but because of the fall, when we make pleasure, pleasure the final thing, it, it ruins everything. It cannot be ultimate. I said it last week, say it again this week. Pleasure is a good thing, but when you make it a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. It becomes an enslaving thing so if if foolish hedonism doesn't work then maybe living the right kind of life will right well let's pick up in verse 12 then i turn to consider wisdom madness and folly for what will the king's successor be like he will do what he's already done the next generation is going to say but you didn't try this i bet this will work you know what he says no it won't i did try it and it won't i realize there is an advantage to wisdom over folly like the advantage of light over darkness the wise person has eyes in his head but the foolish walks in the dark yet i also knew that one fate comes to both basically saying hey if you're wise it's like walking in the light if you're foolish it's like walking in the dark the wise people see the traps ahead and they avoid them the people who walk in the dark are going to stumble and they're going to fall but the problem is they all die they all die that's, that's what he says he's like they all die verse 15 so i said to myself what happens to the fool will also happen to me when they have been overly, why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, that's also futile for just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise since the days to come both will be forgotten. How is it that a wise person dies just like a fool? Because death is that great equalizer. We all die. We're all forgotten eventually. It doesn't matter if you're a brilliant scholar who devoted your whole life to study or you are the lazy slackard who did absolutely nothing. The death is a great equalizer we will end up in the ground basically forgotten so what does he say therefore i hated life i hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for everything is futile in pursuit of the wind this experiment working out the problem to get the answer is showing that his initial conclusion is true but wait what about work what about work? Maybe work will give me some meaning. We've said that, haven't we? I think all of us have had that thought at least once or twice and know, we know people who find their identity and their purpose and all of their meaning in their work. They're crushing it for the company. But leaving their family high in drive. I can't take a sick day. I can't miss or the whole operation is going to fall apart. That's, that's our thinking at all. They depend on me. You realize though that you're not as big of a deal as you thought when you're gone and they just replace you the next day. That's what Solomon says. He says, I hated all my work, verse 18, and I labored at it under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he be wise or a fool. Yet he he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored out under the sun. When there's a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all of his work and all of his efforts that he labors out under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. Today, the world's a mess. The world's a mess, and so many things that are undone, we continue to work at both paid and unpaid, trying desperately to straighten out that which is crooked. In the United States today, you know that we work more hours each year than any nation on earth, and yet there's always more work to be done. The curse is still in effect. We end up hating our jobs. We never get all of our work done. Longing for the myth of retirement, well, we won't have to work anymore. But those of you who are retired, do you still work? Uh-huh, you probably work harder now than you did. And, and that's the reality. We find ourselves, we look at life and we say, man, our lives are just as frustrating, just as, as, as unsatisfying because there's something more. The bottom line is our, that we work ourselves to a breaking point so we could fill a house with a bunch of stuff only to die and that someone who spent their life skipping class and not working hard, move in, sit in my chair that I haven't sat in because I was too busy working and didn't work. That, that's that's what Solomon's saying here. Truthfully, this summary sad. It's sad. No matter how hard you study in school, no matter how good a grade you get, no matter if you get the right degree, even if you land your dream job, you're still going to end up frustrated because there's something more. Johnny Mills uh, sent me a clip the other day from a 30 for 30 episode on espn and it's about my favorite football player reggie white and reggie white even before he was a packer was my favorite football player he's called the minister of defense he was a an ordained minister of all things and uh and he he lived it out he preached the gospel all glory went to god but on uh uh in 1996 the packers won super bowl 31 he ran around holding up the trophy did all the things but the day after they had a little special thing for him they're like man reggie you just won the super bowl how do you feel you know what his answer was tired tired he said my whole life my whole life i played football dreaming for this very moment and i came to the realization as i hosted hoisted that trophy there's got to be something more there's got to be something more. I'm not trying to ease the pain of what might happen this afternoon. I'm just saying there's way more to life than football. There's way more to life than all of this, and he's trying to lay it out there. As a matter of fact, I was reading a thing from Jaden Reed, who's one of the rookies on the Packer this year, and they were talking about how their team just has this great camaraderie. And somebody said, Well, you know, what do you think? How do you think it, it helps out in football? And he's like, I don't, I don't care about football. He said, Football's going to end football will not last. He goes, the relationships I build are what's going to last. And that camaraderie is where it's important. And I look at that and go, you know, that's the same thing in the church. But what about Solomon? Is there something more? Well, I hope so. Look at verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand. It's the first time I've noticed and mentioned God today that. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For the person who is pleasing in his sight, he will give wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But the one who is a sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give over the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile pursuit of the wind. And that's quite a conclusion. But quite the closing question as well. Who can enjoy life apart from God? I heard or read in my studies this week, but I couldn't find it again to give it proper reference but it's one of these ideas that stuck in my head but he said this solomon did all of this work alone alone physically alone it was always i myself my but also spiritually alone he tried to do it all under the sun apart from god but the overall idea i read was this anything i do alone maybe fun in the moment that moment fades quickly and sometimes it's not even fun in the moment have you ever ridden a roller coaster by yourself because nobody wanted to go on it and you get off and you're like yeah high five nobody <laughs> it's just not that great when you're doing it alone but, but in this you're seeing what if I did it with others what if I do it with friends what if I do it with family what if I do it with my kids then it's different isn't it it's not just an event it's, it's a memory doesn't matter how big or how small it has more meaning if it's not alone i can go on a tour around the world by myself or i can go on a, on a, on a trip down to the ice cream store with my kids and that ice cream store is going to I tell you stand out so much more that picture carries over to our heavenly father why do you do what you do why do we work and live and love and laugh and enjoy relationships and the pleasures that are given to us it says it's from god's hand is it to try to please ourselves? Because if it is, it's going to turn out meaningless. But if it's to do the will of the Father who glorified Him while abiding in the Son, that's going to change everything. That's, that's the challenge I gave to Pastor Bruce up front. It's about Christ. That's why we do what we do. That really is the question of life between origin and destiny. In what can I find meaning? And the only answer, the only answer is Jesus Christ. He is the only place we find meaning. The question is, though, is now that you know the answer, now that you've seen the work that Solomon has put into this to know the answer is correct, how will it change the way you live your days between your origin and your destiny? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to dive into your word. Thank you for preserving it for thousands of years so we could even see it. Thank you for challenging Solomon to take all that he had and show us the answer. To show us the work, how he got to that answer. And God, today, I know, I struggle with it on a regular basis. Anytime I drive past a car lot, anytime I walk into a Best Buy, anytime I, I think, I got to have that. But the reality is I don't. The only thing I have to have is you. And I pray that you are working on hearts and minds, even in this room, that even those things that we may have, they're not bad until they become our focus. We want you to be our focus. It is all about you. If there's people in here that are struggling with that, God, I pray that you're working on their hearts, that they're talking with you and having real, frank conversations and being truthful with each other, being truthful with you, being truthful with themselves. To say, yeah, God, this is where I'm striking out. And this is where I need your wisdom and your strength and your power to overcome. God, there's somebody in this room this morning that's in that position, I pray that you're working on their heart. And I pray that you are continuing to challenge each of us to grow closer to you as we walk in you and not in this world. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front and I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you about who jesus is i'd love to talk to you about what he has done why he is the answer if you already know that and you're just saying i just really struggle though that other stuff gets in the way i pray that today is a day that your your heart is clear and that you can repent of worshiping those other idols and say god it's all about you i'll be down here in the front as i said we pray this last song